Hello, I'm C. Stephen Ellis, novelist, and this is my podcast, The Writer's Mind. Here we will discuss all aspects that relate to the craft, business, and creative side of writing. For more information or a transcript of this podcast, please go to my website, www.cstephenellis.com. And that's Stephen with a V. So focus your ears because it's time to step inside the writer's mind. Hi, and welcome to the first episode of The Writer's Mind. My name is C. Stephen Ellis, and this is my podcast. I am an independent author. I've got a couple books out uh, in the same series. My books are called The Ford Chronicles. Please feel free to check them out. Also, uh, feel free to email me any questions or thoughts or comments or anything like that at C. Ellis, E-L-L-I-S, C as in the letter C, Ellis, at cstephenellis.com, and that is Stephen with a V. So, why am I doing this? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I was hoping to accomplish three things uh, by doing this podcast. Uh, One, of course, is um, to share my journey as an independent author, uh, to talk about the things that I'm going through uh, from uh, publication to marketing to um, successes to failures to things that I'll try that won't work and do work and and I don't know maybe you know share that it's it's okay to fail and it's okay to succeed so uh, I think both of those are very important um, the other thing is I'd like to share uh, with an audience what I hope will be information uh, from the interviews that I do and I'll be interviewing people who do all kinds of creative things. Uh, Some of them are uh, writers, some of them work in the industry of uh, publishing books, uh, marketing, Uh, some of them are just interesting people. And I always, you know, wanted this podcast to, um, you know, sure, you know, share information about uh, the business of writing, but there are a lot of podcasts out there that already do that. And while this will do the same, and I think there's room for everybody, uh, one of the other things is I just want to talk to interesting people because um, I think that that's where our characters come from. I know that that's where I pull characters from. You know, I meet somebody interesting or I see somebody Uh, you know, at an airport or if I'm having lunch by myself or just in a crowd, and then I make up a story about them, which is probably something that we all do. But um, interesting people are where we get our characters from. And so in the future, I hope to have uh, some interviews with people who are just interesting. And again, all of this is hopefully will resonate with people who are listening to the podcast. Uh, If not, I'm sure people will let me know. Uh, The other reason is to connect with people. And this is a selfish reason because, uh, you know, writing is a solitary business. And uh, unlike a lot of writers, I'm not an introvert. I'm pretty much an extrovert. I like to go out there and I like to meet people and I enjoy parties and I enjoy socializing. And, uh, you know, writing at home by yourself is uh, tough uh, for me anyways. 
I'm sure there are those who love it and just love the quiet and love the solitude. Although I do have two dogs, uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, and they have a tendency to bark right in the middle of recording these things. So apologies or introductions when they do. Uh, but again, uh, my idea is to connect with people and improve my network of people. And that would be people that I meet as a result of these interviews. Again, fingers crossed. Um, in the coming weeks, I currently have uh, interviews scheduled with uh, a woman who teaches creativity to children, um, another woman who uh, writes and produces scripts and also is an author of children's books, and uh, even a couple who produce, record, and act out audiobooks. So um, hopefully that'll be of some interest to people. Uh, my first interview is with uh, Jack Sikowski. And Jack is a successful screenwriter, and in Hollywood you're successful if you're produced. So uh, Jack is a produced screenwriter, and uh, hopefully you'll enjoy the interview. So without delay, uh, here is... Jack Sikowski. Hi, we're welcoming Jack Sikowski to The Writer's Mind. Jack is a published, well, published, I guess, uh, produced screenwriter who uh, has done at least two movies and I, has one in the works, or I'm going to let him tell you about that. Jack, welcome to The Writer's Mind and tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you very much for having me, Craig. Uh, obviously, I've known you for many years, so you know most of my life story. But the, you know, the short I could talk about this for hours. You know how we writers are; we just, you just can't shut us up. So uh, the the short version of my story is: I was born in Poland, came to America when I was eight years old. I wish I could tell you some dramatic sort of adventure, uh, escaping from behind the Iron Curtain by crawling under <laughs> barbed wire at night. That's AK-47. And bullets zipped over our heads and German shepherds were barking at us. No, no, no. We just got on a plane for Vienna. We left the country, ended up in America, ended up uh, living in Ohio, where I went to Ohio State and eventually came out here for graduate school at the American Film Institute. Wow. Okay. So um, were movies always your life? Did you always want to write? Um, I can't say I was... Um, a movie fanatic. I mean, I enjoyed movies, but I think stories were always a part of my life. I, I mean, since I was an only child, I did not have readily available playmates. And so what do I do? Well, you read stories, you escape to world of imagination, and that carries over to creative outlets. They, actually, the first story I ever wrote was, was essentially a synopsis of the first episode of Lost in Space. <laughs> I still have it somewhere. It's just, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a you know, second or third grader, handwritten, one page, no paragraphs. It just, it just, and then from there I did short stories and found myself attracted to that medium. Sometimes they're like long stories that felt like the beginnings of a novel that never really went anywhere. Eventually as a teenager, I developed interest in photography. And then I ended up mixing the two together, photography and short stories, and started making short films, Super 8 films, so when they did Super 8 films way back when. You know, it's funny. Uh, like you said, we've known each other for a number of years, and it's, I never really realized, of course, it's true. I mean, you have stepsisters and all that, and so do I. But really, we both grew up as only children. And it's funny because uh, that same... Uh, 
need to keep yourself occupied and to you know create stories uh, in as very funny that you mentioned Lost in Space because for me it was Lost in Space as well but it was also a family that you know a much larger family that I wanted to inhabit at the time which is why I played with Lost in Space stories and I guess that was you know we're roughly the same age I guess I'm a little older but um, <laughs> we're uh, it's funny that we did have that in common it's it's all these years I never really realized that until just now all right but enough you every day yeah no kidding <laughs> So uh, talking about your, you know, getting into movies and things like that, when did you become or when did you want to become and start working on the craft of screenwriting? I would say, you know, I studied photography in San Juan College. So it started then, started essentially writing short movies. But um, truly the, into the feature realm of screenwriting didn't really happen until I came to uh, AFI. And that's when I started writing, and, and I, I guess I developed knack for it. My first screenplay I ever wrote won second place in this very prestigious at the time uh, screenplay competition called FOCUS, which was an acronym for Films of College and University Students. And it ran for a number of years. It was sponsored by Nissan. It was, it was fairly big at the time. I remember the award ceremony was at the Director's Guild, and it was like if you ever went to DGA in the theater, the main theater, it was just like totally packed with like almost everybody in the business. And you get up, you get trophies, you get applauded. And it was like a, not only just for screenwriters, but also for filmmakers. They had short films, narrative, as well as documentaries and awards for cinematography. And I believe also editing and animation, definitely. So two, so que a, two yeah. questions then, follow-up questions. One is, did, uh, did you have to... What did you have to do to get into the AFI? I mean, was it like, hello, this is Jack, I want to go to the AFI, or did you have to win a competition or petition them or give them samples of your work and things like that? And then the follow-up to that is, whatever happened to that first screenplay? Did it get ever get made? Did you do something with it? Did, as a result of that, did, you know, producers come out of the audience that day and walk up to you and go, hey, nice screenplay, I got this feature, you know, uh, something like that? I wish. <laughs> I wish it was that simple. Uh, to answer your first question, I entered this this thing, I would call it. It wasn't a screenplay because I just knew nothing really about screenplay, not even the basic format. Uh, so it was like partially looked like a screenplay, but it almost like a short story. It was like dark, mysterious. Uh, I would consider it very David Lynchian since he was one of my <laughs> favorite filmmakers at the time. But uh, so this this thing, and I guess they they liked it enough, and actually also interviewed with them, and and they like yeah, I think he's a good guy. Let him in. So they let him in. In terms of your second question, regarding whatever happened to the first screenplay, uh, aside from everybody reading it in town and pretty much everybody passing it, it it never uh, never made any traction. I mean, nobody ever made it. No, not even close. I mean, it was a. Uh, it was an erotic sci-fi thriller, which I thought was the coolest idea in the world, and cool, coolest genre. You make sci-fi eroticism. <laughs> I mean, this is the kind of movie I want to go pay ten bucks to see, even though it takes a little cheaper in those days. But like, no, nobody thought everybody wanted something different. But ultimately, you meet people and and they admire your talent, so they always say, "What else do you have? What are you working on?" And before you know it, things down the line, people find more desirable. 
So how did, and just to give the audience an idea, how long was it uh, writing scripts and did you get any jobs doctoring scripts? I know you were reading scripts for a long time uh, uh, before you actually had your first sale and then tell us about that first sale. I would say it took 10 years, (laughs) a good uh, 10 years. if you did a timeline, actually, this this sort of connects to one of my favorite Hollywood stories, which I want to share with you. Uh, went to, you know, arrived in California, went to AFI for two years, then wrote and had a slew of different agents representing me over a number of years. And then finally, a screenplay that my writing partner at the time, Maria, we collaborated on, ended up being set up at Universal with Larry Gordon's company. And the story that... Uh, they like to share with you is when Marie and I first came to California, we went to Universal and we took one of those, you know, studio tour, the tram, and we we're on the in the in a tram ride in, on the back lot. And we're looking at all these little bungalows everywhere. And all these people are like walking in and out of those bungalows. And we're wondering like, who the heck are those people? And you know, and how can we be one of them? Which is one of, one of the most important questions. And so cut to 10 years later, almost exactly 10 years later, we are meeting with uh, Larry Gordon's, the producer's executives, in one of those very bungalows. And as we're leaving from our meeting, putting our cool shades in the hot California sun, heading to the parking lot, about to cross the street, a tram stops right in front of us, and everybody's staring at us. It's like, like, like you know, one or somebody famous. <laughs> so it's like, my God, ten years ago we were on that tram, and now we're looking at the tram. It's just like, just sort of, you know, one of those. Dreams can come true moments where you wonder if you ever will be successful and then suddenly you are on the lot and you're getting paid money to write movies. You know, I think that's a great, great story. And it reminds me of two jokes that I used to tell uh, from my days when I was doing the development thing way back when. And uh, one was this, this girl gets on a bus and the bus driver looks at her and this is a cartoon. I think it appeared in LA Weekly. The bus driver looks at her and he says, uh, gee, honey, you look kind of down. What's wrong? She goes, ah, Fox passed on my screenplay, but you wouldn't understand. And then the bus driver goes, oh, yeah, MGM passed on mine. And then they start going back into the bus <laughs> and you got Warner Brothers really shafted me on this one. And then, you know, oh, yeah, Ryan, you want to talk screw? Ryan knows, that, you know, it, it, just till the whole bus had, uh, you know, somebody passed on my screenplay kind yeah. of story. <laughs> No, that's one of those, you know, everybody has writing scripts. I think you told me this anecdotal story about a local newscaster years ago walking down Hollywood Boulevard and just approaching approaching strangers and asking them, so, sir, how is your screenplay coming along? And they're like, like, how do you know I was writing a screenplay? Like every fourth person was writing a screenplay. It's like they're everywhere. Everybody had an answer. I know. Yes. That's really funny. So let's talk about the craft of screenwriting now. Yes. So. Give me an idea of just what your process is in terms of screenwriting, and then we'll talk more about the craft. Sure. My process is typically laying around a lot, daydreaming, and, and finally writing something down. Um, I mean, really, it's, it's, it's really that, that's bizarre. I have discovered in a strange way, my, my most creative time is between 4 p.m. and 7 p.m., so literally, I could be spending all day trying to figure things out. By four o'clock, 
it's like it just clicks in and ideas start flowing. It's as if my muses woke up in the late afternoon and started feeding me ideas of what I should be writing. So basically it is that. I mean, you, you have an idea, you explore it, and ideas come to you, you try to see if they work, you write them down, a story starts to shape, you know, how does it begin, how does it end, images start to come into play, you write them down, and before you know it, you have an outline, and then you expand on it, and you start writing the screenplay. Do you feel an outline is absolutely essential? Um, I feel an outline is like a roadmap. I mean, literally, it, it sort of gives you a direction like, okay, I'm in Los Angeles. I want to get to Sacramento. How do I get there? Well, I take the five. That's probably the most effective way. But, you know, as you're traveling down this road, like, oh, this is an interesting stop. I wasn't expecting. Let me explore this little area here and see if this would be a little interesting. And eventually you get to Sacramento, but along the way, you discover new things you weren't aware of when you started developing the outline. Okay. So I think it's helpful. I mean, there's people I know or heard of where they just simply like sit down and start writing, and they sometimes get good stuff, and sometimes by page 30, they're dead because they don't know the story, they don't know where it's going. For me, what works is spending time with ideas, spending time with the characters, visualizing a lot of things in the story, playing in my mind over and over again how the scene may, may uh, play out on the page, and then uh, developing that step-by-step outline until you have a complete story and until you're just tired of working on the outline and, and they actually start writing the scenes themselves. And, and most of the time it works fairly well. Like I mentioned, you get little divergence, you get ideas as you write that you weren't expecting. Uh, or sometimes there, there's, uh, there's like challenges because outlines can be also a big pain in the butt where, especially if you write things like, and our heroine goes on four dates with four different men, and at first things look promising, <laughs> and then things go badly. Which is like, well, that doesn't really help you very much. That's I, about I ten know. pages in your script, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I know it's got an idea what's supposed to happen, but well, who are these guys? Where do they go on the date? What exactly happens that is good? And how does it go wrong? I mean, just like then you're like. Stuck. Damn you, Jack. Where did you have to put this stupid idea in the outline? Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> because then, yeah, because all the detail needs to be flushed out, obviously. Exactly. So when you're writing a screenplay, what do you think, in terms of screenplay writing, is the most important? Is it structure? Is it dialogue? Is it going to be um, just the overall story, concept, description? What do you think? I think all those things are important. Um, ultimately, I think the most important thing that you have to incorporate into your story is emotional impact. And that is one of those, how do you do that type questions? And I don't have an answer for that. It's, it's if the screenplay doesn't have, doesn't move you, doesn't make you laugh, doesn't excite you, doesn't scare you, depending on you know, what genre you're writing in, it, it just doesn't have any impact. So I think it's important to find ways and explore that quality where you do have an impacted audience. Because ultimately, what does the audience want? They want to be emotionally impacted. They just don't want to experience uh, you know, some story. They just want to experience li living vicariously that story through the protagonist. And by doing that, by having the emotional impact, it helps them to do that. Well, how do you, what's the word, keep it fresh for yourself? Because I know that if I'll write something, first time I wrote it, I thought, oh, my God, this is, you know, my tears are in my eyes. Right. And then I come back and I read it like, you know, by the you know, 50th time I've read it, I'm thinking, you know, this doesn't even work. Why, why did I even put this here? 
because I, I don't I lose my perspective on it. Does that happen to you at all? Uh, sometimes, but it just I I have a really good memory for my screenplay when I'm writing it, so I remember how certain things impacted me. You know, it's that classic thing where you write a scene and next day you come back to it and you think like. Oh my God, this is brilliant. I'm a genius. And you remember those like, genius spots. Right. Sometimes, of course, you do that. And the next day you come back, like, okay, I hope nobody ever sees this. Must press delete. <laughs> I hope nobody's spying on me here. So they, they don't, they're not aware I wrote a total piece of crap scene. But ultimately, you remember that. It's especially crucial with, uh, with comedic elements. You just remember those moments where you write things that are funny and you. And you, you know, make a note. Of, okay, this was funny when I when I wrote it, and and then I read it the next day. This still made me laugh. Of course, it can't really make you laugh because humor comes from surprise a lot of the time, and so uh, so you know what's coming. But still, you just make a note. Okay, this was funny, and ultimately, I'll make sure to keep this. And ultimately, the, when you share with other people, and they give you insights as to what is working, what isn't working, you make a note. Too, what is you know if they found something funny you make a note okay must keep this because they found it funny the first time if I read it for the 50th time yeah it's not funny but I know it'll be funny for somebody who read it for the first time do you have like a street team that uh, you work with who um, you know take a look at your your you know not necessarily the first draft but maybe the second draft or something before you turn it in or send it out um, yes, I mean it depends on the situation. If it's a higher situation, ultimately the the, the only opinion that truly counts is the people who are signing the check. So it'd be like the executives, the development executive, the producer, uh, and they would give you feedback. And however, if I'm writing on spec, I belong to a screenwriting group in Sherman Oaks called the Deadline Junkies. Which you can find them online, DeadlineJunkies.com. And they meet once a week. And the best thing about the group is we don't actually have to read the screenplays because they're performed by actors. So every week, uh, three different writers present basically 25 to 30 pages of their script uh, on stage uh, where the actors read those pages, playing different roles, of course. And they give you a sense of like, okay, how is this playing? And how is this playing in terms of, because when you read something, you imagine one way, actually actors read it like, oh, that's funnier than I thought. Or like, yeah, that doesn't really worry. It gives you like more insight. Or sometimes it's like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? You just, you don't get this character. You read it totally wrong. You're supposed to read it like this. Ultimately, there's a little, there's a little uh, flexibility in terms of giving the actors uh, direction beforehand because otherwise they can just go off the rails and do something completely different. But most of the time, they get it and they are really good at doing what they do. So it gives you a really sense of, of what's working and what isn't. Would you recommend a screenwriting group for uh, people who are just starting out? Absolutely. I mean, just on the most basic level, if you're starting out and you're around other people who are starting out, it gives you, uh, you know, sort of going through the same struggles, the same, same, um, like, you know, same challenges. You're exploring the craft. You're trying to master the craft. You're not sure how to do certain things. And there are people who might have, face those same things, but now they got him better at it and they can give you guidance. So just, it's a way to grow up together, so to speak. Okay. I understand that. Um, one of the other things I wanted to talk about was the difference between tell and show. As a uh, novelist, 
I get to, and, and as a first-person novelist, my life is much easier than yours in that <laughs> yes. I get to get into the character's mind. I can not only tell you what he's feeling, but I mean, I can also show it in terms of his actions. Uh, but for a screenwriter, you don't, you, you, screenwriter can never have somebody come out on stage and go, oh, I am feeling happy or I am feeling sad. <laughs> You have to show it. And what are the challenges associated with that? I mean, to me, it's just so difficult. Uh, yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a tough question. Uh, you know, you show as much as you can. You put the, you know, the goal of the stories, put the characters in situations where they have to react to those situations. When they react, they show those emotions. So, you know, it could be a love scene. It could be a scene of danger, you know, the fight or flight. And you get to see that visually, how they react, because ultimately acting is reacting. And you could see how the characters experience a different moments of their lives and the emotions to go with them and as a result you experience those emotions so you get to see it and and i mean it's it's i know i'm a little rambling here a little bit no it's but okay it's, it's sort of like on the page i mean it's it's they're on the page and it's up to the actor and the director to take those those words and put them on the screen and you know you describe things you describe the action you describe the emotions and when you read it, it's as you know, a good screenplay gives you a feeling like watching the movie. Right. You get involved, you see it in your mind's eye, and it becomes that amazing experience. Well, you know, I, I guess I would think, you know, in, in a novel, if something is happening to my character where he's going to be jealous or something like that, he always reacts to the situation immediately and he can react to it internally as well as externally. Mm-hmm. But in a screenplay, it seems to me that if you're saying, you know, I really want something that's going to resonate with the audience and I want them to feel, you know, his sense of helplessness associated with this. So I, you, you have to sit around and almost be analytical about it and say, now, what scenes would, you know, best describe helplessness? You know, what, where can I put him where helplessness can be resonating in the back, background, you know. It may not have anything to do directly with the scene or with the story, but let's say, you know, you know his brakes go out helpless or, you know, he, mm-hmm. he's, his car gets, he goes down to his car to find that the door is dented or something like that. And again, it's that sense of out of control that sure. you can add that flavor to uh, a screenplay. And I guess you could do it to a novel, but... I don't know. I don't know that it resonates quite as well. What do you think? Well, yeah, I think it's also like you can do visual metaphors. I mean, like, obviously, one of the most cliche ones would be somebody whose heart is broken. They're at home at night, look in the window while it's raining on the glass, and they like right. you feel their angst and all that. So it's so there's and, and and just remember also movies are not just about visuals and dialogue, but also about music and sound effects, and they add a whole other layer of it. So if you ever seen the ending scene from Star Wars without the music, it just plays so differently, you know, when they yeah. accept their awards. Have you ever seen that? I say, like years ago, I saw this clip on, on YouTube. So they're sitting around, and there's like nothing's happening. They're just smiling, proud. But once you put the music in, it's like, oh, my God, the whole scene just changes. So there's another layer that perhaps novels don't have, that don't have that quality that music adds to stories or movies. 
that makes people, you know, impacts emotionally. Music is very emotional, as we all know. So this is a way to just different layers. You have the dialogue, you have the characters, you have the dramatic moment, you have editing also playing a role, you have music and sound effects playing a role in crafting this. So the screenwriting part is just one aspect of, 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 of what comes together to make the movie. So, I mean, this is also you talking with your producer hat because I know you produced yeah. several short movies as well. And, um, and I know you've got two projects that are, uh, one was made, one is about to be made or one is being made. I don't know what the status is of that. Um, one was one was just made. Actually, it was just finished last week, to my understanding. I have yet to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I have yet to see it. You know, the writers is last. Is, no. is that frustrating? I mean, because you know, here it is, your written word, your you know guts and your sweat on the page, and then you know you hand it off, and it's like, yeah, no, don't call us, we'll call you. <laughs> um, it's you accept it as the way the world works until you're in a position of power and fortune to make certain calls, you right. accept you have a certain role in this production process. Right. So ultimately, everybody's role in this production process. So, uh, you know, the, the gaffer who helps set up the, the, electron, the lights and the and generators and things of that nature, he probably hasn't seen the movie either, but he was instrumental uh, in getting this... Um, helping to get the movie made. So you just accept it and you played the role, you do your job and you've done the best you could and you leave it to somebody else and you hope they do a good job. I hope they they get, you know, even though you can write exactly what the scene is about, you can even write the subtext into the description. Sometimes they don't always get it right and there's not a whole lot you can do about it unless you get in on the editing of it and make some suggestions like, oh, no, no, you're not. This isn't working because of this, that, and other thing. And then, I, then you can sway people to, to, um, to see the light and potentially change the scene. But uh, in this situation, the movie came together very quickly. It was shot very quickly, and there really wasn't a whole lot of time for me to really become involved in it because there were a lot of people playing a role in it to get it done in time. So when they wanted to get uh, their blue pages, their green pages, etc., what did they, did they, nope? nope. There are no green pages. <laughs> Sorry. There, what's there, you shoot. <laughs> it's really... <laughs> it's the budget. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, the movie was shot in Bulgaria. This was a movie, wow. movie for the Hallmark Channel. Yeah. And uh, the production company has a studio complex in Bulgaria. So they shot it there, you know, it looks like a mini studio with back lots and sound stages and, and the works. And I mean, the most I saw of the movie was just a few scenes where they, they, they realized that there's a phone call conversation, but I only wrote one part of it the, because I thought it was like a quick conversation where the woman's on the phone, she needs to get off the phone quickly she, because she's going somewhere, so she's busy, bye, 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 they call you later, love you, blah, blah, blah. However, the way she played the scene is like she left spaces for the other person to talk. And then just to watch her, just to watch her <laughs> talk or, or listen, just looks very weird. So Jack, can you write the other part of the conversation? like? What other part of conversation? <laughs> so, uh, so I then, you know, they showed me the the scene. Like, okay, what could possibly happen between what she says and then? And it was, you know, it's like a ten second scene, but you found a few moment of lines of dialogue they could record the actor and then plug him in during editing, and and hopefully it works. 
Well, when is it airing? I don't know yet, to okay. be honest. Um, it, I, like I mentioned, it was just finished last week, and I've been in touch with the producer, but he hasn't called me back yet to uh, inform me of when Hallmark made a decision um, to uh, to start playing it. I would say I, ho- I would say hopefully sooner than later. Yeah. Well, is it is it around? Hallmark is always around, usually some holiday or something. Is this focused around a holiday? Yeah, actually it is. It's around Valentine's Day. <laughs> <laughs> TikTok, baby. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I, you know, it, it's it's one of those things. You do your job. It's out of your hands, and you hope for the best. You move on to other projects. So let's talk about other projects, um, uh, specifically the spec script market. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that still a very active thing? Uh, do you think that uh, people are still looking for spec scripts, or do you think that producers are, think, are looking more for writers to hire to, um, to uh, expand their ideas? I think it's more of the latter. I do believe certainly spec screenplays are still sold. Uh, it's not an easy process as it was, you know, two decades ago during the 90s when there was a big boom in spec sales. Uh, typically now for a spec to get sold involves, you know, obviously a producer be attached, possibly a director, possibly an actor, and it comes together as a little package. And and the more clout somebody has, maybe the producer just had a hit movie, or maybe the writer had a hit movie, or somebody being involved, there's a little heat on them. So those kind of situations are, are, uh, are easier set up. It doesn't happen a lot because, as we all know, the, the major studios are focused, for the most part, on big-type uh, blockbuster comic book type stories uh, but occasionally you know movies still get made I mean if you look at the movies that are playing right now some of them are small and or medium size and they still find an audience to a certain degree but it, ultimately it is harder to get it made because since uh, since a lot of lot fewer of them are being made wouldn't you say I mean if you look at uh, uh, this is being recorded about a week and a half or, or two weeks before the Academy Awards and the films that are nominated for the Academy Awards are not those blockbuster films except for maybe one, one or two. I'm trying to remember all of them in my head, but I'm thinking of the smaller ones like Fences and um, Moonlight, uh, Hell or High Water. I mean, if you look at Hell or High Water, I mean, talk about the production values on that. They basically probably shot that within like two blocks of, every scene was within two blocks of each other. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I can only imagine that the budget on that was um, minuscule. I mean, other than the fact that you've got, you know, the heavy hitter actors, right? Chris Pine. But I bet you they took a reduction on it just so he didn't have to be Captain Kirk. And mm-hmm. and um, Jeff Bridges, just because he's, well, you know, he likes to be Jeff Bridges and be weird. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> But it's funny because all of the films that are nominated are not the blockbusters. I mean, there has to be... Uh, a desire in Hollywood, you know, everybody wants the awards, and there has to be a desire for the producers to say, you know, look, yes, we want we want to have the blockbuster so we can keep the studio running and things like that, but we've got these little films that are, you know, really getting noticed and are winning us the awards. Yeah, uh, totally. It, it's it's a different. I think just a different way of seeing things where the studios, obviously they're responsible for the stockholders, so they have to maximize profits. And the things that make them feel secure is big blockbusters they can play internationally since most of the money 
these days is coming from overseas. So uh, whereas the members of the Academy, members of the guilds who, who vote for these movies tend to pick movies that more appeal to them. So Fences, I can't see that as an international hit in China, for instance. However, <laughs> it is a quality movie yeah. that has found a certain audience and is being appreciated for that fact. So ultimately, you know, all the bases are covered in a way. You have the big blockbusters making money and the small to support the smaller movies, which either make a little bit of money or break even. Well, and in thinking about the people who want to break into the movie industry, it's like, what should they write? You know, you always hear the old axiom, write what you know. Do you really believe that or do you think that that's just kind of uh, a cliche? It, I think it's a cliche. I mean, you know, certainly... You know, if you're George Lucas writing Star Wars, yeah, I don't think he knew about that kind of stuff. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you mean, you're telling me he didn't know about Banthas? And, uh, no, yeah. no yeah. I, I, I seriously doubt it. But, <laughs> uh, but, I mean, it is a cliche, but my belief is if you're writing a spec screenplay, write about what you would like to see on the screen. The stories I mean, you want to see. Yeah, the stories you want to see. You know, what, you know, and also uh, stories that are unique to you that only you can tell. Uh, for instance, let me give you a story. <laughs> let me tell you a story. A friend of mine, um, years ago, he was down on his luck and he found himself living in a storage space. He actually rented one of those cubicles, very tiny. You mean like at, he, a, at a 24-hour storage place? Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, yeah. Do I, know this, lived, do I know this person? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, good, okay. <laughs> and he was living there. No, no. <laughs> and he was living there, and then he discovered like he wasn't the only one. There were like other people living there as too. What? So it was like you know he was aware of them, but of course he had to be very secretive about it so he doesn't find out, so that the person would not write him out. So it's like, so I thought, my God, this is a perfect idea for a movie. People live in a storage space, and he is the one who's able to write it because I actually lived it. So it becomes that almost living that cliche, like knowing what you, what you uh, writing what you know about. But in his situation, it was so unique, different from anybody else, that so you would give a certain voice, a certain vision, that if somebody told you, hey, I have an idea for a movie, a guy lives in a storage space, go write it. It's like, you know, I couldn't do that because I haven't lived in a storage space, but he could. And that would, would make a great story. I suggested this to him because he, he was an, an aspiring writer, but he said, nobody would buy it. It's like, yeah, they probably would not buy it, but it would get you attention. It would make you stand out, especially if you infused it of your own vision and experience and and have some measure of fun with it, like, you know, little community forms and somebody dies at the end, but love takes place between other people. It, it could be a very interesting story. What, um, he's still not there, is he? Um, I've lost touch with him. <laughs> <laughs> so... so <laughs> to answer your question, he might very well be. Oh, man. I, know, I actually know where it is, too. It's like 405 and Santa Monica Boulevard. Oh, yeah. I know, I know where that is. And watch the, the owner watching this, this podcast like, wait a minute. We have people living in our, in our storage He's space. He's like beat feet down to Santa Monica and 405. Um, so what about you, though? Uh, how much has your own life experience inhabited your writing? You know, especially, you know, the immigrant from Poland. You came here when you were 12, eight, 11, eight, eight. Eight, eight. So you came here when you were eight years old and, uh, you know, learning to speak English and then just growing up in Ohio versus, you know, a metropolitan area. You know, how much does that inhabit your writing? It, 
I mean, it, it does. I mean, it, it's it's anything you write is based on the experiences of your life, one way or another, in, in small little ways. Like, for instance, um, when Maria and I wrote the screenplay for um, Who's Your Daddy, which is a story about a teenage boy from Ohio who inherits a Playboy-like empire. It's like a teen comedy, and so it was. You know, I could, I understood the character. I understood Middle America. I understood what it's like to go to a high school in Ohio. And so I could write those scenes a little better. I mean, little details, which you don't even think about if you're not from there, such as tornado drills. There's a scene that had tornado drill in it, which, you know, doesn't happen in California. It doesn't happen in Washington, D.C. In Ohio, we have tornado drills to get people prepared if there's a tornado. I have so, never been in a tornado drill in my entire life. Lucky you. <laughs> yes, well, I guess that's true. Well, it's we're like almost it's, it's it's a fire drill, but you stay inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're almost done. Just a couple more things. Uh so any advice to would be, you know, up and comers. Right. Um, I mean, there's always the obvious stuff like watch movies, read screenplays, uh, write a lot, of course. Uh, but there's also, I would suggest, do a little bit of introspection to deal with the why. Why are you doing this? You're a unique individual. You're the only one like you has ever existed on the planet Earth from the beginning of time. Why are you here on this planet to do? Um, so what is that why? And, uh, it has to be more than like, I like movies, so I want to write them. It just It's like, well, that's nice, but what is the bigger reason for it? Is it, it could be, and it, it could be whatever you want it to be. There's no rules about it. But as long as you connect to the why, then when you create your work, it infuses it. And when it infuses it, you also develop your own voice. And when you have your own voice, then you make your work stand out from everybody else's because they're doing genre pieces. Many times they're just ripping off other movies. I mean, the whole cliche about vampire movies or, or zombie movies, and you start looking like, oh, this is looking like everybody else. But if you can find your own vision, your own voice, and infuse it into the story, it makes you stand out. It makes it a little different. It makes you ultimately attractive to the powers that be because you have something different to say or a different way to show it. I completely agree with that. Uh, and I would even add to it that just beyond asking yourself, why am I want to be a writer or why am I writing this? There are other whys in your life that you can explore that help bring out uh, really depth as a human being. So, huh? that, you know, and that obviously is going to resonate with your writing because, you know, essentially writing is you. You're putting yourself on the page no matter, you know, even if your character is, you know, uh, 10-foot green-eyed alien, there's still a little bit of you in there, so... Definitely. The yeah. other suggestion I have is uh, live a little, less in good life experience. I mean, what I wrote when I was in my 20s compared to what I write now, it's different because I have more life experience and I can incorporate in the story. If you're, if you're perpetuating the stereotype of a writer where you're on social geek stuck in your room writing all the time. I mean, there's a lot that come from imagination, but a lot more you can discover by having a lot of relationships with many people. Okay. Tell you stories. I mean, I, I do this all the time where you can get in conversations from somebody or even strangers and start asking them questions and be able to listen and discover amazing stuff. Like, I never thought of that. Let me make a note of this. And just these little things that keep cropping up and then they become part of you. So when you 
start writing, it comes out in ways you never expected. Good advice, Jack. Really good advice. So uh, I don't know if you want people to get in touch with you. Uh, sure. Yeah. I'm very open. I'm very open. I mean, there's my website. You can get me get in touch with me through my website, which, of course, is jacksikowski.com. And the other main source of social contact in terms of the Internet would be like Facebook. The only thing with Facebook, I highly suggest you send me a note first, just a message like, hey, I saw you on Craig's podcast. You're brilliant. I love what you said about writing. And I, I read one of your screenplays on the Internet. You're wonderful. I mean, write stuff like that. It's like, and then want to friend me? It's like, okay, I know who you are. If you try to friend me and we have nobody in common and you don't say anything, like, you know, I get these girls from Nigeria doing the what, same thing. It's, what is that? <laughs> what is that? That happens to me all the time. You get this, and she's like in two provocative poses, uh -huh, exactly. and then there's nothing else. And it's like, yep. oh, yeah, I want to be a friend with this person. <laughs> what, what is that? Exactly. All right. Well, Jack, you have been absolutely fantastic. I really appreciate it. Uh, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you, Craig. I enjoyed myself.